Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy, and I'm here in a virtual room, thanks to Zoom, with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder, and Benjamin Schwartz, our producer, is also on the line. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on April 25th, 2020. So please forgive any audio inconsistencies because as I mentioned before, we're taking the social distancing recommendations to heart and recording this via remote tools. I'd also like to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org. If you have any questions or comments about the show today, or if you have anything you would like to have us discuss on future programs, we would always love to hear from you. You can listen to us on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, just search World Business Academy. All right, Ronaldo. Well, I know we've got a lot on our plate to discuss today, and I'm a uh, we do, but I, I don't think, you know, it, it, with as dire as the times are, I think we should start with with a couple of jokes, you know, some, something humorous to reflect on during the week that, you know, brought a the laugh. The lighter side of... The, yeah, the lighter the side of crazy, team. right? So this is the lighter side of crazy we're going to talk about. And the, the, so clearly the best joke of the week was the President of the United States suggesting that you could inject Lysol or its equivalent as a way to kill coronavirus. I just... I mean, I just don't. I saw the original tape, and I thought, "Oh my God!" I, I I knew the inmates were in charge of the asylum. I had no idea how far to go. Uh, now he also went, it's it's the Trump Tide Pod challenge. That's right, the Tide Pod challenge, Trump style. That's right. Why don't we just we could just drink Tide Pods? That's right. That's, we were doing that <laughs> when he stopped us. So anyway, that's that's the without a doubt, the, it, it it can't be the dumbest thing I ever heard because it's it's just too funny. It, it's beyond. It's beyond dumb. It's it's beyond even um, a third grade education. It, what it means is it's another proof that the guy can't see past his own ego. Like he's, all he can see is what he can see, and he can't take in information from third parties. And if you didn't see it, the split screen of Doctor Bricks sitting there when he said that was pretty darn funny too. It was, I, was, I thought that was. I mean, it was so crazy. It was humorous. Like sometimes you like you got, if you don't laugh, you cry. This was one you had to laugh at. It was just like, oh, my God, what did he get from it? But the other one that was also, and I'm going to paraphrase uh, Governor Cuomo, the dumbest idea he ever heard, which was Mitch McConnell saying, let the states go bankrupt. Now, you start taking, break that down into pieces. Okay, that means that the policemen, the firemen, the, the, the uh, uh, EMT, first responders, uh, ambulances. ambulances, school teachers, None of them are going to get paid because that's what the state pays them through the cities. So you're going to cut all those people off at a time when we've already got 26 and a half million people that are unemployed. <laughs> I, you know, it, they won't have to wait for the peasants to come with the pitchforks and torches because the peasants will come on buckboards. They will come back. They'll come on horseback. Yeah. And not, not to mention the trash and sanitation people. Right. Um, who are also paid from the cities. I mean, how long is it going to take them to load up the trash on the front doorsteps before people really start getting... Well, I mean, look, people are already upset that they're having to do homeschooling with their kids and they they can't take it any longer. You tell 90% of the American public who's homeschooling right now, the teachers are going to get cut off. They will come at you with a dull knife. You better not. Better not. (laughs) You better not. Why do these things get sad? It's like, 
well, in the case of Trump, it's because he doesn't know any better. He just he says whatever comes to his mind. And he doesn't even think about it. He doesn't want to have to think about it. He just wants to riff. He, he's an actor, and he's just making a script up as he goes. I, I get it. He, he's just doing television. And it's crazy television, and it's amazing that he's considered the president of the United States while he's doing crazy television, but that's the reality show he's running, producing, directing, and starring. And it's a pretty crazy reality show. And if he thinks, that, if he thinks his ratings are great because of him, I got a hot flash. They're actually great because of Fauci. Cuomo's got good ratings. The governor's got good ratings. Newsom's got good ratings. Trump, not so good. So it's, but it's also the, it's the rubbernecking phenomenon, right? You, I mean, you can't help but look at, at a disaster as it's happening. It, it, does, it does have that component, too. I agree. Now, I want to transition from that humorous interlude, because those are two just too ridiculous to even talk about. I want to talk about one that isn't too ridiculous to talk about, but it's in the same vein of stupid. And that is this idea of defunding the U.S. Post Office. First of all, why is the post office in trouble financially? Well, they've lost $2 billion a month because of COVID. The volume of mail has dropped precipitously that goes to your mailbox. So you think of all those flyers you're not getting from supermarkets, all of those solicitations you're not getting from drapery cleaners and car salesmen, and on and on and on. All that was paid for through the post office. That was the efficient way to deliver it. The post office actually has increased its small package delivery revenue because it is very competitive with FedEx, very competitive with US, UPS. And I, as a small business owner, use all three with a machine, a software piece of software that everybody can get, so you don't have to be a big guy to get it, which tells me instantly what's the least expensive way to ship something to a particular person at a particular weight, in a particular shape. And it turns out USPS wins that battle most of the time. So it's doing better in home delivery. And I think you know Trump is mad at USPS, United States Post Office, Postal Service, because... He sees them as an arm of Amazon, which is kind of crazy because Amazon's shoring up the post office so it can afford to pay people to deliver our mail. It's, it's actually the reverse. He's subsidizing the post office. And they love that kind of business because it's light. So it's not like heavy UPS business and it's high dollar value. So the idea, and we're talking about unemployment. Well, let's talk about it now. I'm going, to, I'm going to segue into unemployment and then we'll come back to the post office. So we're sitting here with 26 and a quarter million people as of last Wednesday that we know of have filed for unemployment. And I'm going to say it's a pretty safe bet. The next time you get those numbers, you're going to see them over 30 million. Well, if you were to fire the post office, think of what that does in terms of additional unemployment. And ask yourself, who then would bring you prescriptions from your local pharmacy? Who would deliver that book a friend of mine just sent me through the mail because it wouldn't have been economic to send it through FedEx? Who's going to bring me my Social Security check if you're over 65, folks? Let's get serious here. And and you know who will be hit particularly hard? It's the rural areas of this country that don't have other other connections to the outside world. Yep. The, the U.S. Post Office is one of the main arteries uh, that things get to them. So the, what's causing the post office to need money? COVID, like everybody else. So if you're going to bail out United Airlines and American Airlines, the post office is much bigger and much more important. And as a national institution, you shouldn't let go. Bailing out American Airlines, I'm not so sure is a good idea. But the post office has to keep running. It is a national organization. It should not and cannot be defunded. The second problem the post office has, the post office, because it's a, <clears throat> a subset of a political agency, the post office has to maintain some conditions that no private business does. Example, <clears throat> the Congress forces the post office to deliver on Saturdays. Nobody in their right mind thinks we need mail on Saturday. Nobody complains it's not delivered on Sundays. If you'd cut back and let them, which is the post office has wanted to do for a decade, cut back to five days of service, Monday through Friday, that sixth day, Saturday alone, eliminating it would, would balance their budget. 
So it, it's a political weapon that's used by Republicans to try to keep the post office emasculated. I'm going to come back to why that is in a moment. The next thing you see with the post office, which is also in, since 2006, so it's been around for 14 years now, the post office is required, and the only company in the world that is required to do this, to pre-fund pensions. So General Motors accrues its pensions and pays them when they're due 10, 20, 30 years from now. Post office has to pay today for pensions they think they're going to pay in 30 years. So can you explain why that is and what's the thinking behind that? Why that, that regulation was imposed upon the post yeah, office? Yeah, it's very simple. It was imposed as, as part of the most recent. In 2006, it was a big post office funding bill. And in that bill, in order to agree to do it, the Republicans put this harness on the post office because there's been a very long-standing uh, resentment of the post office by Republican Party because the post office is highly unionized. It's probably the most unionized federal agency, certainly one of them in terms of, well, it is the most unionized in terms of total bodies, okay? So, so they don't like unions. They don't want people that belong to unions. They want to crush unions. They've done everything they can in the last 10 years to break unions. Actually, Lauren that. I mean, it started with basically union busting started with Reagan when he busted the controllers, air, air traffic controllers. So the, the Republican Party has long had this bias wanting to get rid of all these democratically registered union card-carrying postal members. And you think of all the great middle-class lives that have been lived on a postal worker salary and how many will continue to be lived on a postal worker salary. And that they are required to prepay pensions is an astronomically high burden that the Congress knew when they did it, the post office could not survive. But then the post office did something very smart. They switched over to package delivery. So that's when they came up with all these new services they do, you know, second day air, a traceable packages. They went directly into competition with US UPS and with FedEx with hands tied behind their back and frankly are out competing. Not because of subsidy, but the opposite, because it has such great reach already. It's what it's what Benjamin Franklin first understood. If you want to have a country, you've got to be able to deliver a letter anywhere and everywhere. Now, and FedEx doesn't have that response. UPS doesn't have that response. They don't require to deliver on Saturday if there's nothing in the truck. Follow me? They're not required to prepay pensions. So why? Is, so the historical bias against the post office because it's heavily unionized and therefore perceived to be more democratic. Yeah, but unions themselves are the enemy of the Republican Party, as the Republican Party sees it. I don't see it that way. I don't think they are the enemy of the Republican Party, but they see it that way. Then there's this one other wrinkle in the last, apart from <clears throat> Trump's stated belief that somehow they're they're subsidizing Amazon when the opposite is true. And because he hates Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, which has nothing to do with the whatsoever with the post office, they have one word in common, post. That's it. <laughs> the Washington Post has only one word in common, right? So that, that's, the, that's the height of Trump's analytical that's the trap ability. Of, that, they, 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 that, same, well, they that same word, post, so they must be like in cahoots somehow, right? There's the Washington Post and the U.S. Post. But the other reason that um, Trump and the Republican Party, and this is where McConnell comes in, quite devious. McConnell is not a knee-jerk crazy. He's just a power-drunk um, individual Plutocrat. who's become extraordinarily wealthy in politics. He was getting wealthy when he started in politics. He then married a billionaires, and he's gotten richer by the day ever since. And he likes being the most powerful man in America, which he probably is now. Remember, he can fire the president. The president can't fire him. So Mitch McConnell is petrified that he will get fired by the American people because he'll lose his Senate majority. And he probably will if there's a fair election. 
So now, in addition to Trump's knee-jerk, I don't like Jeff Bezos, let's kill the post office so he can't deliver his packages, which, of course, wouldn't stop, wouldn't even slow Bezos down, because Bezos is already building a, an alternative distribution network. But there's this other thing going on that no one's talking about in the background. That thing is the fact that the post office, if it goes away, there is no vote by mail. If there is no vote by mail, the Republicans believe they can win the 2020 election, both at the presidency and at the state level, which would include senators like McConnell. So they're banking on that post office being gone. I don't think they'll get away with it. I hope you're right that they don't get away with that, because that is one of the most terrifying statements I've heard all week. And I've heard many, many, many terrifying statements this week. So yeah. That so I don't think they'll get away with it, because if the Congress had the courage, which I'm not sure it does, but if it had the courage to put a simple bill in front of the Senate, strictly on the post office, up and down. You vote for the post office, you vote against it. I don't believe the Senate would stop it. I think the outrage from the voters, they'd be so high it would be crazy. Just crazy. So I'm going to let that go for today, except to say, keep your eye on the post office. I'll come back and revisit that next week. And, and one thing you that people can do is buy stamps right now. That'll help shore up the post office's yeah. uh, balance sheet. Yeah, and, and there's actually a, um, there's I forget which group, there's some progressive group that's raising money to specifically buy stamps today to help the post office. I don't think that's a, it's a cute idea. Yeah. I actually contributed to it. It's not a it. long-term solution. It's not even a short-term solution because you couldn't buy enough stamps today to solve the prepayment of pensions and the other problem associated with um, the COVID-19 drop in mail. And so, and you know, they're not letting them out of Saturday delivery last time I checked. I, I would love to see a bill go by that would say no Saturday delivery, $2 billion. I mean, two, yeah, $2 billion. And uh, let's let's reexamine in a year how well they did as, as a competitive force in American life and how important they are to us as an American life. And I'd be done with it. But let's keep moving because we're going to run out of time, I'm afraid. And um, I want to talk about a couple things. First of all, I, I just want to tell people that we're not, we're not going to do anything on international to nothing significant because. We are watching. Um, for example, I, I just got a great report in on Thursday from our South Africa member, uh, Barbara Nussbaum, an active listener on this program. Uh, Barbara gave me a really good in-depth report on what's going on in South Africa, why it's doing better than I had feared it might. Uh, particularly, she gave me a specific report on Cyril Ramaphosa, who most people would not know, but was the person handpicked by Nelson Mandela to replace him when Mandela died. His party did not decide to do that because Cyril was not the best politician. He wasn't an inside fighter. He was more of a man of the people. Didn't get elected. The country descended into graft, corruption, and a lot of terrible stuff happened there in the last 10 years. But he finally got elected a year or so ago. And apparently he's doing a very, very good job protecting South Africa from coronavirus and building the economy back up by beginning to slowly squeeze a lot of the graft out of South Africa. So we are watching it. And I'm also watching other countries in Africa because of climate change. I'm watching company, countries in Africa like Nigeria because of the price of oil dropping. I'm watching other countries because of the migration to Europe, which could start picking up again. I'm watching it because clearly COVID is going to have an enormous impact on, on, on Africa. Uh, I am now predicting with unfortunate confidence that we will surpass the 50 million dead in the Spanish flu epidemic of 1900. We will pass 50 million dead. And I'll tell you how far we're going to pass it at some point when I'm further down the line, but I'm afraid we're going to pass it by a lot, like maybe double. We'll see as we go forward, and it could get worse than that if, if things don't cheat. Why? Because there's no no adequate coordinated international response. Not only is the U.S. missing 
from the game. It's missing from that leadership position, and no one's been able to step into it. So we're not going to talk about that. We're not going this week. We're not going to talk about um, France being the first country to experiment with uh, target tracing of COVID victims using cell phones. They're probably the first country to do it in a significant way. I'm not going to talk about the way Germany's going about reopening its economy, which I think is a lot smarter thing I've heard over here. Uh, so these all these international stories we're following, and we will be reporting on them in weeks to come. But we're not going to do uh, much about it today. Uh, Chris, do you have something? Well, I just wanted to clarify. I think it's the France might be the first Western country that's using target tracing because I think several nations in Asia have already started that. Well, they've started it. Uh, the difference is that the, what France is talking about using is the Google Facebook combo. And that software, which I like because it leaves it up to the individual to opt out if they choose, which I think is very positive, uh, it leaves you with the option of not having that data collected for other purposes, reportedly according to Google and Facebook. So I like it as a better result than the Chinese result. And remember, the Chinese result is a much more invasive software. The, what the French are doing is the simple, if you passed within someone else's phone that beeped, within, which would have been like a 12-foot passage of somebody who then is later on detected as having COVID, it saves that data for 30 days. And it then tells you, oops, contact these people on their cell phones, they could be possibly infected. The Chinese model is much more invasive. The Chinese model basically uh, is the state looking at everything in your life, including everything on your phone, like where you've been, who you've been talking to, for whatever reason. The, 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 micro, the, 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 the thing that Google and Facebook came up with is pretty benign, actually. And I know people are going to be offended by me saying that because if you're a libertarian, you think it's this huge offense. I don't think it is. But I think we're going to find out with France. That was my point. And, and, and they aren't using the Chinese software because that would be way too invasive and I wouldn't be proving that. Okay. I also want to talk, though, a lot of time right now, I want to swing into um, the quick statistics. And I want to talk about real estate. So, uh, and Brennan, I want to thank you for writing in those great questions you sent us about real estate, which I'm going to deal with today on the show. Uh, but just to give you the quick recap, so if you look at the, the Dow Jones over the last year, down 10%, oil down 73.7%, I'll come back to oil later, uh, and gold up 35, 36%. So the trends are all staying the same as we keep talking about them on the show. I had somebody, literally a regular listener, call me about a week ago saying, is it time to Stop buying gold. I said, God, no, what are you going to buy instead? And they said, well, what about real estate? I said, well, that's interesting you say that because we got a question on that. So let me talk now about real estate. By the way, the oil thing, as for those who don't know, oil went from $5 a barrel one day to a negative $37 a barrel the next day. Today, it's up around $16.5 a barrel. Uh, but when you see a negative number, $37, it means somebody paid you to take the oil off of them because they couldn't get it stored. And we know there are tanker ships sitting here off the coast of California that are loaded with oil that have no place to park. So when you're filling up loading tankers and you can't land them to put the oil on shore, that means you're so overstocked that you'd have to dramatically reduce production for a significant period of time. 10% reduction, as we said in the show last week, Bupkisk 30% reduction in demand. So you're still, even at these rates of production, you're overproducing oil. And that's why I can't climb out of the hole. Now, the United States is stopping oil production in, in all the fracking effective almost immediately because they can't afford to, to drill. They're closing in some wells that were drilled so that they can get to them later when they see the price going back up or they hope it does. But when the Americans come off the market, which they will, <clears throat> it would normally start to create dramatic increase in demand because we would be replacing with foreign oil that we bought with domestic oil uh, that we didn't make. Well, when you start making all that fracking stuff, all that oil, it reduced our global demand, what we were importing, 
and cause that part of that imbalance. Well, the reason it's not going to work this time when the U.S. stops fracking is because the U.S. economy has been so decimated that the demand in the U.S. economy isn't there now and won't be for the foreseeable future. By that, I mean certainly for the next 60 days. So we'll keep revisiting this as we go along. But I'm not looking for a deep, a sharp upswing recovery in oil. And in fact, I think there's an interesting thing we should talk about at some point, why that's probably a good thing and not to be feared. And lastly, I want to just say, because it was Earth Day this last week, I think it's a great opportunity to look at um, oil and what's happening to it and how in the same period of time, as we mentioned on the show last week, uh, solar and renewable energies like wind have not been hurt that bad. And in fact, I think what's going to happen is the, the, the power structure of oil, which has controlled the entire global economy for 100 years, and virtually every major country in the, in the world for at least 75 years, oil's losing its control. It's what I'm predicting. And you can see it when people like Shell make a major announcement last week that they're going to be carbon-free by 2050. Yeah, and, and I think this is really interesting to look at, Ronaldo, about how oil, which was the dominant industry and it controlled all of our energy for the last 75 years in the entire globe, that's really the drop in oil isn't is disarticulated from the rest of the markets. It's disarticulated from a yeah. lot of the economic activity. And that's an um, indication. Even, it's no longer yeah, the yeah. central player. Yeah. And the way I used to explain oil to people is, in the, on a planet like ours, this one specifically, oil is, um, it, 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 it's the one common denominator globally. It's the largest single piece of infrastructure globally. It's the largest source of wealth distribution and reallocation. It's the largest source of political corruption. It's the largest source of wars and conflict. So oil has had this extremely, incredibly important role as the central most important thing. And someone said to me once, what's it like to replace oil um, as, as, as the central fuel of the planet, the planetary fuel system runs on oil today? And the answer is, it's kind of like driving down the freeway at 100 miles an hour and trying to change your engine without slowing the car down. But it turns out that's doable, and it's doable with hydrogen. The good news is, because the global economy is slowing, the car's not going 100 miles an hour anymore. Yeah, it's only doing about 70. And as a result, we are going to, it's a little bit easier, not, not easy by any means, but a little bit easier to build a parallel superlative infrastructure at a fraction of the cost of what oil costs to, to develop and, port and, and, and distribute. Will it now create an economy? Which I think is, and this is very important, I had this conversation uh, with one of our key congressmen just last week. The economy we're about to create, if we're going to climb out of the hole that we are digging, which is a currently $22 trillion hole, soon to be $25 trillion hole, uh, when we climb out of that, and I am going to end uh, today's comments on unemployment, when we climb out of that hole, we will not be able to restore the economy and pay that debt off in the lifetime of my children if we don't come at the economy with a radically different approach. If we do come out of the economy with the approach that we took after World War II, with the uh, the plan that we developed, because basically after having won the war, George Marshall, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the U.S. military, he and Truman came up with this idea for how you rebuild the world, and in rebuilding the world, the United States became fabulously wealthy. They jumped mega, mega quantities of wealth higher, we can do that again, and we're going to have to do that again 
coming out of this. And we're also, and we maybe be, have a good reason to do it because climate change will give us the reason to do massive infrastructure spending, massive amount of, of change in our economy. So that's what I think's coming. We can talk more okay, about it next so, week. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that next week because I think we really did want to get into real questions about real estate, yep. which is another uh, factor yep. in the last recession yep. we had was the real estate markets. Yep. And so is real estate. A- yeah, we're not going to yeah. have enough time today to do what I'd like to do in real estate. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to, when, when someone says, well, is it safe yet to invest in real estate? That was the specific question. And you can't answer that question in the abstract. First of all, you got to say, well, what kind of real estate? So are we talking single family dwellings? Are we talking about multiple dwellings, i.e. apartment buildings? Are we talking about multiple common ownership? That would be co-ops and condos. Are we talking REITs, real estate investment trusts? Are we talking about uh, commercial, which means you own the store that the guy sells his widgets out of? Are we talking about <clears throat> office space? Okay, so the, the renting of commercial real estate in the office world. So when you when you when you break down all of these subsets of real estate, never in my adult life has it ever been true before that one or more of those wouldn't be working when the other ones worked. Meaning, you could, as a practical matter, switch into some form of real estate investing when the market was having problems. REITs coming out of the great stock market crash of 20, 2008, 2009 would be an example. Um, there are other many other examples. Um, normally, for example, in a time like this where the cost of home ownership is so high, you would see a boom in multi-unit dwelling construction, both of condos, apartments, and um, associations, cooperatives, as they're called before. So it's this rare situation today, I'm sorry to say, is there is no safe real estate investment today. In other words, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get invested in an office building because there aren't enough people going to be around to have offices. I don't want to invest in single-family dwellings because clearly what's going on financially to the whole world is going to push the press prices. Uh, and maybe cause the deficit is fully addressed, could cause interest rates to skyrocket. You don't want to be into single-family dwellings because where are you going to live and how are you going to live? You don't want to be into um, making apartment buildings because who's going to be able to afford that if they're all unemployed? So what I want to do uh, next week is I'm going to take one of those clumps uh, some of you may know I'm a real estate investor. I've been for almost 40 years. Uh, I'm invested in real estate that owns shopping centers, and I'll start by talking about that next week. I'm an investor that owns uh, piece of partnerships and hotels. I'll talk about that because obviously I'm getting hurt in both of those. And I'm an investor that has had other real estate properties over the years for investment purposes, which I can also talk about. Uh, so we'll take one each for the next few weeks. I'll take one sec- chunk at a time. I might even start with REITs next week just because there's a lot of false information floating around about REITs. Uh, Benjamin was very helpful in digging out some stuff for me on REITs before today, and I said, well, that confirms what I thought. Um, one of the justifications people are giving to invest in REITs is they're saying that their balance sheets are actually stronger than they appear, and that's completely or false. Their balance sheets are actually weaker than they appear. So, you know, it's like, do I think Exxon's balance sheet is as strong as they say it is? No, because half of it's water, right? Half of it's oil they can't pump. And their balance sheet is based on what are called proven reserves and nothing useful about a proven reserve. You can't pay to pump it and sell it. And at $16 a barrel, you can't pay to pump it and sell it. So at that end of the day, unless you're Saudi Arabia, when you can do it for 5 to $7. Even Russia can't do it for $17 a barrel. Which, which leads me back to where I started. I said I wanted to talk about unemployment. 
And, and the reason is we, we now know that in five weeks, we've had over 26 million people file for unemployment claims, documented as of last Wednesday. My guess is that number is going to break 30 million by next Wednesday, by next week, or next Friday at the latest. And if you take the number that most economists assume is the total working population of the country, which is 164.5 million, we are already at 17% unemployment, folks, which is what I told you last week I thought we were moving towards. I said we we're 13 going towards 17. We're there. We're at 17. And, and it's going up. <laughs> it's not ending here. And, and is it going to end at 20? Not sure. If I had to guess today, I think we might be able to stop it at 20 to 25% unemployment. I don't think it's going to go to 30 right now, but it, it might. It's clear, though, that it's not 12%. And that was published as recently as a couple days ago. So you're, watch out. You're going to get lied to now by a lot of people who want to pretend unemployment's not as bad as it is. There's a lot of political reasons people want to pretend that. And there are any number of economists, legitimate economists, who are willing to tell you what you want to hear, um, whether they got, you know, what they're talking about or not. So it will make for a conversation which actually is not a very relevant conversation because it is not accurate. It's not true. We are at 17%. Do the math. If we're at 26.5 million people, you divide by 164 million, you get about 17%. That's just simple math. And I, and I think that what we should do now is be looking at what the implications of that. So I believe that uh, Paul Krugman, who still sees 20%, as I do, as a very likely next plateau. Uh, my guess is Joseph Stiglitz does too, although I haven't read his stuff recently. Um, there are a number of others that are in that league. Janet, Janet Yellen, I think, would be, probably agree with that number. But where we would might come apart is some of us have a much more negative view of how bad the economy's been hit. So as recently as yesterday, there was a prediction that by the end of the second quarter, that's an interesting number because that's the end of June. And we're only in April right now. So if we're in April and you're projecting out another you know, four, six, eight weeks, and you think it's only going to be 5 to 6% GDP reduction, I don't know what you're smoking. But whatever it is, you can sell it legally in California now. <laughs> and you can drink it in any, virtually in any state because they believe bars are going to become, no, uh, liquor stores are essential services. So whatever you're drinking, you're drinking too much if you believe that number. You're smoking too much if you believe that number. You've got to be real because if you don't get real, you can't plan your way out of it. You, 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 if you start lying to yourself, you will end up with this terrible problem that you believe yourself and that you make bad decisions based on. And that's probably how we got in this mess with COVID-19 in the first place. We lied to ourselves in January because when the CIA first warned Trump in the first week of January, some of us, me included, picked it up by the third week of December because we were reading what was coming out of China. But the CIA sure really read the same stuff in the first week of January to warn Trump. Huge pandemic coming. He was further warned by um, his... Secretary of Health and Human Services, didn't believe him, got a memo from one of his favorite guys who's an absolute joke. I mean, he's not even a real economist, Navarro, Peter Navarro, uh, although he thinks he is, he's a social scientist, he's not a real economist in my mind. And he gives him two memos on why it's going to be a pandemic with 500,000 people affected. <coughs> it turns out he was wrong, it could be way more than that, but he was warned. <coughs> warned and warned and warned. He ignored, ignored, ignored. In the process of ignoring, the virus did its damage secretly. And we now know that probably 20% of the public in places like New York, based on recent statistics, 
have been infected. I'm going to guess it's probably been about at least 10% in California. And so what you're going to see now is the death numbers from New York are starting to come down. But whereas New York used to represent 80% of the deaths in America, now it represents only 20%. So where are those all of the deaths coming from? Well, they're coming from all those other states that didn't have as high an urban density, did not have as much traffic going through from other parts of the world, but it still got there. And once it gets there, it does the same thing, even in rural areas. So watch for Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Florida, South Carolina, Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa. They're all going to keep adding more dead people to the pile. And unfortunately, they're adding as many dead people to the pile as New York has been saving. That's the tragedy. Instead of a net reduction in death, because New York got its death toll down, flattened the curve, we're still going to have this very high rate. So today, folks, we are sitting here. By the time you hear this, that that death toll will be over 55,000, and it's not slowing down. It's not slowing. It's going up at the same pace today as it did three, four weeks ago, maybe a little faster. And with that, I'm sorry it's bad news. we got to keep doing what we're doing, social distancing, and learn how to break the economic logjam one piece at a time so we don't do something really foolish and create a second wave before the first wave is gone. Uh, that's what we'll pick up on next week, and we'll talk about some of those states individually. And I think I'm out of time, so I'd love to keep going, but I think we're out of time for today. And uh, Christy, do you have any last thing you want to throw out there before we, we close off? No, I mean, it's just this is a very interesting subject, everything we're talking about, and it's frightening. I'm going to leave you with this quote. <clears throat> as much as I read, as much as I listen, I've never seen, or heard about, or read about any problem we cannot solve with today's existing technology and resources. It's just that we lack the will to do so. Let's get that will. Let's decide that we're going to make our politicians come from that perspective. We can do this, but it takes all of us pulling together, and we can't continue to have one political party, major political party, seeing political advantage in having people not vote, or having more sick people in, quote, blue states, or worse yet, bankrupty blue states. And with that, let's have a happy thought. We can, we can do this, but we got to force our elected officials to help us. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.